Uh, hello, welcome to the very first edition proper of Is That What I Call Music. My name is David, uh, his name is also David. It is, yeah. <laughs> and we're here to talk about the Now That's What I Call Music album series. And for the first podcast proper, it made sense to us to begin with the first Now That's What I Call Music album. Did you want to tell us a bit about it? Yeah, so it's from 83, mm-hmm. so it's older than both of us. <laughs> it is, yeah. And... Yeah, I'd say there's there's quite a lot of fairly famous yeah. songs on it. So although they were before both of our times, I think there's you know, a, a sort of retroactive nostalgia value to it yeah, anyway. Because yeah. these are some of these are such iconic songs of the era. Mm. But yeah, we'll we'll launch into the first record slash CD, depending on the release. <laughs> There were some audio issues during recording due to slightly faulty equipment, but we have, for recording this, now bought new leads and stuff, so hopefully from the future, the only way is up for audio quality. Wonder what now the only way is up is on. (laughs) We'll have to look that up. Uh, Maybe we'll do it while they're listening to this. UB40, Katagoogoo, Culture Club, Rocksteady, Crew, Howard Jones, Bonnie Tyler, Heaven 17. Tina Turner, Tracy Alvin, Simple Minds, Duran Duran, Rob Stewart, Men at Work, and the Human League is back. What I call music. Let's find out. So, the first song on the first now is uh, Phil Collins uh, with his cover of The Supremes You Can't Hurry Love. Neither of us got anything good to say about this. I don't think so. I mean, so it did a, get to number one. Well, it was his first it number did. one. So I mean, it was a big hit, and they've gone for you know because it's a big hit. Clearly, it started off the now. But uh, reading about the song, uh, seemingly it was it was an attempt to emulate the '60s style of the original. Yeah. So In all you feel are the drums. Because yeah. Phil Collins is a drummer, and he doesn't give a shit about anything, which is yeah. And so him. there's not really a lot to say, but it's essentially just him trying to recreate the original within a little only with him singing it so therefore it's just a shitter <laughs> yeah. version of the but original really it, it does sort of try to recreate it but having just listened to both that and the supreme's original mm. it was very clear that the thing they put most effort into was the drum sound yeah. like the guitars sound pants on the new one compared to the old one they're like, so much better on the original were the horns even in the new filling points one I, I can't remember them sticking out but that's because the original is 5,000 times <laughs> better yeah and yet the british public uh only got that one to number three in the chart so mm. so uh, the there you go them, i guess we'll just move on to ours. this is a pretty because <laughs> there's not a lot to say about this no. one really so uh the next song uh we've got duran duran uh with their first uk number one i believe of is there something i should know The backstory of this, we found out, is uh, resulting from the success of Kazagugu's Too Shy, which uh, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll go we'll into later. later definitely. But uh, that was, was it co-written or 
co-produced by one of the members of Duran Duran. Oh, too shy. Of it. Yeah, okay, too shy. Yeah, yeah. And although Duran Duran had already been a band for a few years at this point, mm. uh, Too Shy was a far bigger hit than anything Duran Duran had previously had. Yeah. And so this song was a reaction to that in an attempt to make have a hit. No, because they'd had some... They hadn't had any massive, massive hits. Okay. No. Because this is after, like, Hungry Like the Wolf and stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, in Rio? I'm, I'm not sure when they were out. Should we pause and check? Probably should. So we have checked, and they had had uh, a few top ten hits, including Rio, Hungry Like the Wolf, and Girls on the Film. So Which, you can't say they were an unsuccessful band up until then. No, I mean, and those, particularly Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf, they always define the band, in a yeah. way. Well, Girls on Film as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Obviously, really... And this is one thing... Because you say you quite enjoy... Uh, is there something I should know? But like to well, me, it sounds like a song which is dated. So well, I don't know if I enjoy it really. I think the weird thing was when yeah, when listening to it uh, last night ahead of us recording today, my initial reaction was that it's fine, but it, I didn't think it was as good as the like for me as the likes of Hungry Like the Wolf or Rio. But yet, after listening to all these again, I found myself humming that song in my head more than the others which uh so did you compare it to the other Duran Duran songs though is it just compared to the other stuff on the now well that's it I mean I guess immediately I haven't re-listened to Hungry Like the Wolf and all the others but uh, it's not like a terrible song but it is the most 80s song yeah certainly of of all those other sorts of iconic 80s Duran Duran hits which aren't exactly unrepresentative of the 80s I mean if you look up the video on YouTube it's hard to get much more (laughs) 80s it's not necessarily a criticism but it's just painfully of its time yeah and I definitely don't resent them writing this hit deliberately to try and get to number one but like I say it's not the song I think of when I think of Duran Duran and it's not as good as most of those songs yeah. I mean even you've got Wild Boys from the next album which is a very silly song <laughs> but yeah. I like it much more it's and more the video fun. is amazing yeah. <laughs> like, but um, yeah like I, I don't know I'm not, I don't have very strong feelings about I think this it's song the same way it's hard to really have much strong opinion of it and I'd rather save any Duran Duran listening time to uh, other ones yeah really. well in that case should we move on to a song which I feel like we probably both do have fairly strong feelings about yes <laughs> but, um, uh, it's uh, UB40 next with their cover of Red Red Wine So this was, I'd say, the first of their songs, their big kind of hits that were covers. It was a big number one. It was. Um, which I don't think they'd had until that point. No. Um, I think, that, yeah, this is their first properly big song, and it wasn't their first album, but I tend to think... No, well, I'd never... Speaking of that, because like I went into this with that obvious tone of negativity, because I I hate this song. Yes, I hate it's... this cover song. But you, because I don't know if I'd ever heard early UB40 until you played me mm. one of the songs, and it's like oh, they they were kind of a decent dub band. That's it. So initially, they started out of this from this socially conscious, politically active kind of group of unemployed yeah. working class people in Birmingham. Whereas my entire life, I've associated.
associate them with insipid cover versions. <laughs> yeah, but if you listen to the likes of One in Ten, mm-hmm. it instantly. I mean, I still find his voice a little annoying, no, but it's, it's, in, it's not... instantly far more interesting than yeah. this. Musically, it doesn't just sound like it was meant to be the slow song you play at a 1980s disco. No. It's ridiculous considering it seems to be a song about a miserable alcoholic to try and then <laughs> do this weird slow jam thing. Yeah. If that's and, what they're going for, I don't the really thing know. Of the, the background of the song, it's a cover, but what of what they thought was the yeah, original. Yeah. Which we is... did listen to, who was that by? Uh, Tony Tribe. Tony Tribe's cover of it. Yeah. Because it's a Neil Diamond original, and a Neil Diamond one does sound like a lonely alcoholic. <laughs> the, the Neil... What was his name? Neil Diamond. Or Tony no, Tribe. Tony Tribe. Yeah. His cover version it's a good reggae song. It sounds good. UB40's version. They've t- managed to take that cover version and dial it down it's, significantly. It, they've just <laughs> taken out what for me seems any kind of feeling from it. It just seems really... Yep. Uh... But you know, Neil Diamond likes it, and yeah, he does good for him. their arrangement when he plays it live. He does, and you can kind of see why because his version would rather bring a gig down. <laughs> yeah, and there's a sense of if you think that. Uh, so when you before did it, they were oblivious to the fact that it was a Neil Diamond yeah, they, they song. Didn't even know. Okay, um, and I don't know if that considering Neil Diamond's obviously very famous. I don't know if. There's an element of Neil Diamond quickly jumping on the thing of, oh, this song is now quite known. uh, The only thing I particularly know about Neil Diamond is that he was the subject of a Super super Furry Animal song. So uh, I'm really not in a position to comment on Diamond's relative songs. I think he's on those people who's known to have written a lot of other people's songs uh, as well okay. as his own so he was as, just, that as in he's covered often or he's done songs. he's often covered but in a way that i think however many songs they might not have been known particularly as his originals but okay. other people have made it big i guess like this one in an unintended way mm-hmm. um but things like monkeys i'm a believer and a few yeah. a few other kind of fairly big songs where he actually wrote them no no fair that enough. kind of thing yeah, I don't know if there's much more to say for this one, really, other than to suggest just listen to the first album. Yeah, really. yeah well, I might do that now. I've heard yeah. a little bit of it. This one, though, I did find that it sold over a million in the UK as of 2014, which is quite a lot of sales. Yeah. So it's still got an audience out there. But yeah, we're not it. No. Whatever. That's the only really conclusion we can make. It's the second cover version on the album as well, out of three so far. Considering this is a first now album, they're going quite heavy with the covers, but I guess yeah. that kind of makes and sense because they're like, often the biggest hits. Yeah, and I guess there's always an element of that. Like when we um, did Now 44, however many of them were covers. Yeah. And as, well, I think that's it. Like in the past, I felt like there'd be fewer cover versions. And there are, as we look through the album as a whole, there's fewer than nowhere on Now 44 and Now 50 and those mm. ones that we listened to in preparation for all this stuff. Yeah. But it's interesting to know that it was there from the start. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that is the only interesting thing about this song. So shall we move on? <laughs> we should, I think, to uh, Lamal. Yeah. Uh, who's hit... He... Oh, were you well, going to say? I was going to say, Lamal and Kajgugu, between them, appear three times. They do. On and, this uh, compilation. So we're going to probably not dwell on this one too long. But but uh, we'll just briefly uh, mention it uh, yeah. as the next song. Only for Love, uh, which was a number 16 hit. Is that your problem? Don't 
Yeah, we like we haven't really got a lot to say about this one. It's very, very eighties again. There's going to be like a competition on this album for the most eighties song, and yeah. this has got to be up there. It's up there. There's Is it more so more. than Duran Duran? Do you think? I think it might be. Yeah. I think it's not as eighties as Howard Jones, but that's on no. record two, so we don't have to worry we're, about we're not that for there a while yet. yet. Um, but yeah, I think because there is a little to you know talk about a Lamal and Kajagoogoo, yeah, but I yeah. think we'll save that for I later. Have, I, I think it's worth noting at least that Lamal was briefly the lead singer of Kajagoogoo, in case people oh, yeah. aren't aware of this much, because we're talking it like Lamal is a household <laughs> name, which <laughs> like I like really everyone just casually uh, talks about Lamal. Yeah. Like I, I think most people have probably you heard the never ending story mm. but that's probably the limit of their Lamal well, yeah encounters, this one just knowing seems Lamal encounters. it just seems pretty forgettable vehicle for his sure. brief solo career really. I do like there's a quote I found which it says after the White Feathers concert to Kajagugu sacked him by telephone Lamal was quoted as saying I've been betrayed and I was sacked for making them a success uh, to which the band replied saying he was difficult to work with and they didn't like his musical taste <laughs> <laughs> so take out of that what you will but I guess we'll get to see we've heard a bit of this yeah we'll get a bit of too shy yeah and then on album two we get to talk about kajagoogoo's post lamal comeback yes so we can assess who was to blame for this entire mess overall <laughs> it's, it's very much a mess but the next song isn't. No, the next song is so, fantastic. Yeah, so uh, now into uh, much better territory, I think we can <laughs> safely say, with uh, Heaven 17. Uh, their number two hit, uh, Temptation. But it's too late to hesitate. We can't keep on living like this. So, uh, as we said, this is a uh, much more enjoyable territory yeah, for us. This is, I, I love this song, and I love that it was a big hit. Yes. Um, and significantly more so than Lamal. <laughs> uh, well, yes. And I would say it's still one that's a... I would say it's still a celebrated song from the time. Yeah, yeah. This is a very well-remembered song, mm. thing, and they re-released it, a, a remix version of it anyway, and I did one of the charts yeah, as well. Yeah. So I think it's it's got staying power, and mm. that must be because it's insane. <laughs> um, it's a weird, weird song by any yeah. standards. The delivery of it, the, the, the sort of structure of it, it's all very mad. And the nature of the way it's written about uh, the chords supposedly rising yeah. over the course of the song to... Yeah, sort uh, of influenced by the Lord's Prayer, I think he said. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how that yeah, works and out, about, uh, like, it was meant to be a song about sex. Yeah, there's a quote And so here the chords rising... Says, uh, Martin Ware explained the subject matter of the song. I woke up one morning and thought, I've got to write a song about sex. I've never written a song about sex. The song is about rising sexual tension. It has chords that keep going up like an MC Escher staircase. And in the end, there's this big release. <laughs> so at the end of the song, that's Martin Ware reaching orgasm, in case you were wondering. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> let, yeah, listen out for that next time. You're, uh... <laughs> I think maybe that's what be, oh, <laughs> every time, is it, maybe? 
no, it's just everything. Like the the what uh, Carol Carol Kenyon was it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, her vocal in it is incredible. Yeah. And the the just the, it that video has them sort of standing in a pulpit in front of a book, and there is that kind of. The delivery is like a fire and brimstone preacher type mm. thing, and I don't know if that's part of the Lord's Prayer kind of element to it. Yeah, I, I assume so. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just yeah, the whole thing is inspired by mm. a sort of very zealous uh, vibe, I guess. Yeah, even if it's sex rather than religion, but it's not as if those things don't go together in the history of music. <laughs> um, no. There's there's plenty of hallelujah moments yeah. <laughs> which is probably the most obvious religion slash sex song i can think of <laughs> off the top of my head there's some lyrics in this as well i'll be quite like, a wiki category <laughs> religion slash sex songs yeah. i'm sure there's one out there but yeah like there's one of the lyrics and this is adorable creatures with unacceptable features and i have literally no idea what that meant to mean <laughs> what could such unacceptable features <laughs> no, be yeah but they're adorable but is it uh, no. are they unacceptable because they're adorable no. or are they adorable except for the unacceptable features i know i mean you have to <laughs> weigh up what exactly how each one relates and, to the other and how this creature in any way weighs into martin Ware's sex life is just another question entirely <laughs> i guess i guess like of when we've been listening to sort of more recent now albums and things mm. like the nearest i can think of to a song this odd that was a big hit would be dare by gorillas um yeah I mean, even that's okay. kind of conventional if you strip away sean Ryder being insane <laughs> so it's like when since then have there been songs this mad at number two in the charts yeah i don't um, i don't there know there might be some examples but i can't think of too many but at the same time it, it's weird and it does fit like it's of its time in a sense of it does fit it into that 80s, yeah this style at the time but at the same time it stands out because there's like to me it seems just clearly a cleverly written song and like mm. when you're saying about how it was pointedly written and structured in a certain way yeah uh, and, and like performed with that kind of level of intensity yeah like there's a, a madness in it that you can actually hear it doesn't sound like Limal to see the comparison where <laughs> you don't get any sense that he particularly believes in what the hell he was singing about <laughs> no. whereas you get the sense that Martin Ware has definitely experienced sexual frustration uh, and is here channeling that quite powerfully <laughs> and yeah there's like a sense of him singing lyrics quite authentically yeah I yeah. suppose like he's <laughs> it's uh, a fun one like just that like temptation like i was saying earlier if you just like you want some cake but you shouldn't and you just <laughs> sing that to yourself instead and it keeps you entertained at least as long as it takes to find the cake but shall we shall we move on uh yeah that's because what i think we've expressed deep and abiding admiration for this song it was interesting listening to some of their more recent music because mm. i don't think we were comparing them to Sparks in terms of bands which were kind of weird and had some big hits. And have managed to maintain a certain experiment willing to try. Yeah, but uh, Sparks, I think, have been things. more successful over the years. Yeah. Just listening to their, was it sort of mid-noughties mm. type stuff, it sounded like they... Like the whole world of electronica and dance sort of overtook them, and they didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. So they tried to do things, but it just so it sounds, it sounds the, awkward. It sounds nineties-y in a way in mid two thousand and five. But even then, it, it's still kind of weird. So they are trying to be experimental. Mm. But it just doesn't work in the same way that this does. So this is this was peak Heaven Seventeen, both in terms of their chart success and I think that glorious mismatch of 
pop and experimentalism yeah. and things. Uh, but yeah, for now, should we move on? We should. So uh, it's another number one. Yeah, although uh, very different territory stylistically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a bit of a strange track listing uh, mm. uh, choice. But uh, the next one is Casey and the Sunshine Band uh, with "Give It Up." It's a fun number. Yeah, it's definitely a catchy song. You can sing along to it. You can dance to it. Um, It was like, I I didn't think I know the band very well Mm. or anything, but they used to be a sort of more disco theme band. We looked up some of our songs and there's lots of well-known ones in there. Yeah, yeah. And then they sort of faded into relative obscurity when disco died an ugly death. And this was their comeback. Uh, which was also their sort of last big hit, I think. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem like much of a comeback beyond this song, seemingly, because they kind of fell out. This is probably the song they're most well-known for, so they they had one last big splash. Yeah. Like just listening to it a bit again, and uh, I was saying we quite like the texture of the... uh, the music generally like you're quite yeah. enjoying the uh, drumstick tapping yeah the and... drumstick tapping is a nice little sort of touch it's not high in the mix or anything but it just adds something nice I don't know I, I kind of find it hard to get excited about it but I don't know if that's partly just over familiarity because it's a uh, song possibly, which yeah, feels it's... like it's been used over and over and over on all mm. sorts of different things yeah well it's, I guess it's a very famous song and I said, I don't know how much I'd go out of my way to listen to it. No, but it's, exactly. but it's you wouldn't nice. turn it's it fun. off if it came on the radio. No. Unless you're in a bad mood, in which what? case it would just be, no, <laughs> not, not in the mood. Give me some Nine Inch Nails or no, something. No, said that, like it's saying, one of the cover art we notice yeah, seems really oddly moody. serious. <laughs> yeah, but I also read about the story there being the sort of conflict between, yeah. um, what's his name? Casey uh, something. something. Casey, I think Casey's oh, yeah, a surname. Casey and the, the bass player Rick Finch. Yeah. Uh, where he'd already left the band and he came back to record this song and it was a horrible experience uh, he says uh, he went back then I left again with a bad taste in my mouth and so did Bay. we had some really ugly words to one another and that was the beginning of the end and now there's this extreme hatred that exists from there and, <laughs> and so even today the recording of this song has put a gap and uh, unbridgeable gap between these two people, which is but it's a weird sad. thing to think while you're kind of ha- yeah, like a happy exactly. sounding dancey. It doesn't sound like a song where the recording of it was really marked by hatred. I was imagining a kind of an image of the recording studio with one of them sing- you know, singing, but in the background you're just seeing the rest of the band fighting. Furiousness, yeah. So it's a kind of odd thing to note that might give the song a slightly different. Uh, sense. No, yeah, uh, but, but like, uh, I'm guessing they didn't foreground that in the marketing of the song. Um, well, because no. it probably wouldn't have helped to get to number one, which it did. So, a good way to bow out, I guess. Yeah. Other than the acrimony. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't yeah. come through in the song. I, I think yeah, if it's... it had came through in the song, it wouldn't have been a number one. So, somebody did a good job yeah, on hiding it. Somewhat that. angrily, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can reinterpret the lyric, give it up, just to telling the bass player to quit again. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't think we've got too much more to say about Not it. The really. next song is much weirder, at least. Yeah. Um, uh, Malcolm McLaren, uh, an interesting man. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, that's say. true. There's a huge amount to say about him. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, Double Dutch. 
uh, which is a number three hit, I think. So, yeah, Malcolm McLaren, an interesting man, uh, to oh, say well, the least. Yeah. Should we talk, sort of, just focus on the song first? Because yeah. I think we could get down a Malcolm McLaren's wider career alley and not find our way out, you know? <laughs> but it is, it's, it's a good song. Yeah, I actually, I quite like it. Yeah. Um, it's it definitely, def- I don't think it's dated as much as some of the other songs. It doesn't feel as 80s. No, and it, I'd say it stands out for that, that it's mm. clearly the sound of someone trying to do something a bit different yeah definitely and yeah i find it quite interesting like the texture of the song the way the various effects are laid up yeah. and backing vocals we did because they were uh sued basically for rip by a band called the boyo boyoyo boys yeah over similarity of double dutch with their own hit free my bone and i might be pronouncing it entirely wrong because <laughs> i have no knowledge of yeah. zulu yeah and we listened to their song and there it's, is a very very close it's, bla- similarity. it's a blatant yeah. rip hop well they blatantly use the basis of this song from mm, that yeah the this, bass line and this the... is it sounds quite different and like the other one is much more lo-fi and uh, just less experimental, I guess, less mm. poppy, maybe. But it's it's fundamentally based on the same thing, so it's kind of insane that they just set it out of court, and that Trevor Horn and Malcolm McLaren are still the songwriters. Yeah, they retain <laughs> that credit, which does seem bizarre. And that, although I do like the song, they did kind of. There's a lot of interesting production going on. Mm. Uh, it seems a bit harsh on the Boyoyo Boys. Yeah, uh, that. They I, didn't I, get I, any songwriting yeah. credit. If I hadn't looked this up, I wouldn't have known that. I no, don't think it's a well-known no. thing. And especially given that it's still a song you hear these days, you think the songwriter is maybe not so happy not getting Yeah, like <laughs> is it Wolf, of, Wolf of Wall Street yeah. it was used in. And so things like that, when it gets this attention, yeah, as you say, Boyoyo Boys are just left in the dark a bit. It does sort of feed into a Malcolm McLaren wider conversation though, because his thing a lot of the time is taking other people's stuff and popularizing it or mm. marketing it in an yeah. interesting way. Like even if you go back to punk, you know, mm. you don't think he was writing the songs, was he, or was he? Um, sure. I don't think he wrote the songs, but he engineered all yeah, of he their them, appearances he, yeah, and it, the way they interacted with the public and media to yeah. try and get that reputation. Exactly. So, so he masterminded a lot of that. Because people, I don't think people mostly think of him as a musician, even if most people have probably heard this song and stuff. Mm. And that's because he was always better known for like pulling the strings in the background yeah. and being a sort of yeah. tastemaker of sorts. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of seems wrong because he was always very uh, counter-cultural to call him a tastemaker. Yeah, the, um, but, um, like, it wasn't associated with Vivian Westwood for yeah, a time. Yeah, exactly. And like this, this, you know, this. I don't suppose there'd been a huge amount of African influenced music in the charts at this point. So no, probably he's not. Popularizing a bit of sort of world music. I did see as well that he is noted for initially popularising the dance of voguing, 
and merging opera with contemporary electronical music forms. I'm not entirely sure what that's a reference to. No. <laughs> like, I don't know what he yeah. might have done that, that, you know. No, well, yeah. It'd be interesting to read a bit more into McLaren's uh, history, his influence on pop culture, because he's someone who, even if he might not be like a household name in the same way of David Bowie or something, mm. He probably has had at least as much influence on the way pop culture has evolved. Yeah, probably. In the UK, I mean. Um, or at least he's had, I mean, like we said about obviously the Sex Pistols, but yeah, generally his, yeah, the amount he's shaped, mm. uh, I suppose. It was, um, I think it was an Edinburgh show he did, I found this quote from, but it, he introduces himself by saying, he stands accused of turning popular culture into a cheap marketing gimmick. And I'm here to prove that's all absolutely true. <laughs> so I think he very much embraced that uh, image of himself. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the various different things he did, this is a very good example of his sort of more direct involvement in the music side of things. Oh, yeah, and the fact that it was released under his name. Mm, yeah. Well, certainly. And just the fact that it is as far as pop music goes, a bit more experimental. It's, mm. it's sort of playing with things from different backgrounds and bringing it into a very poppy context. Yeah, and even the sound, like we were marking on, the sound of the skipping ropes yeah, yeah. Uh, used that. in the song as rhythm. It's So, uh, yeah, I think that it's very well crafted. That must be a really Trevor Horn thing, I think. Uh, probably. Yeah, because at this time in particular, he was a real master of this sort of early yeah, sampling Yeah, because this would have been... Just before, because I tend to think of Trevor Horn's first big production success as Relax. Yeah, I guess uh, so. And this would have been a bit before that, I think. It's definitely an interesting song on this kind of level, as in it's who was involved in its creation and where it slots into the whole pop cultural landscape. But it's even by itself, it's just a quite fun song yeah you could happily listen to another sort of sunny summery one. Oh yeah and we um, were saying the only odd thing is the video and the rapid nature of the uh yeah. the skipping seems to be slightly at odds with the uh <laughs> the sort of gentle upbeat vibes but other than that yeah it's, <laughs> it's very intense skipping i would really recommend i mean maybe you can just look up some double dutch skipping competitions but <laughs> if you want the, the music in the background as well look up a video to this and you can see some insanely intense skipping and uh, speaking of intensity <laughs> yes i think that links us nicely oh, to uh, the next song, song. <laughs> so we're on to bonnie tyler mm. doesn't need much introduction but uh, <laughs> yeah total eclipse of the heart is next Oh, Bonnie Tyler, eh? Yes. That's a very exciting song, and it remains so, and it will always remain so. There's nothing else. Well, there are things which are quite like it, very specifically Meatloaf. Well, yeah. that's because it was written by the same By guy. Jim Steinman, yeah, <laughs> although the delivery um, surely no, exactly. far I think out. I think this is even more Meatloaf than Meatloaf in terms of that sort of throat-tearing, <laughs> bellowed vocal delivery. Does it her delivery, and it just goes up and up yeah. over the course of the song. I was to comparing a... it 
to Without You by Harry Nelson, yeah. where you've got a thing where it starts off quite gentle, and then by the first chorus, it's already very intense. And then as the song goes on, it gets more and more unhinged, <laughs> just shouting and screaming. And uh, there's a great quote attributed to Bonnie Tyler along the lines of how she doesn't like songs that just anyone can sing. <laughs> and I think this song encapsulates I that. I mean, anyone could try and sing well, it, yeah, but, but it would be painful both for them and for anyone listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by the end of it, when it sounds like <laughs> her and the music are having a fight to be overheard. Yes. And there's literal explosions yeah, going on. It's off. just... <laughs> Brilliantly ridiculous. It's like kind of melodramatic production choice where you have lyrics about living in a powder keg and giving off sparks, and then you literally think, all right, explosions, then. That's what's <laughs> missing from this song. Let's throw everything at the wall. Hey, it's all stuck. Let's keep it. <laughs> and the video is just, you know, they've got the full works with wind machines, yes, slow all motion. Of the wind machines. They must have, like, hired all of the wind machines all in of the, the country wind machines. to make that video. It's the video is ridiculous for glowing-eyed choir boys. Yeah, and, in a darkened uh, church or whatever it is. It's we're, I, Well, I'm laughing here, which makes it sound like I think this whole thing is a joke. And it is kind of funny, but at the same time, it's great. Yeah. It's brilliant music. Oh, and yeah. I yeah. want more. Like, why can't there be one song like this every year, maybe, in the charts? Cause... Yeah, because we were struggling to think of a, re- a sure recent comparison. Of, there must be some of those singers... I don't know, I can't think of any current big singers. I was going to say Demi Lovato, because I saw her on a video earlier, but there's no way she'd even oh, attempt uh, this. No, no. <laughs> and like Taylor Swift or something, just she couldn't, she doesn't have the voice. Uh, no. She doesn't have the power. You can't to imagine do her doing like that. that kind of loud, throaty. Yeah, who, there must be someone who's got the actual vocal power to do a song like this still, but I don't know who it is. Mm. And it's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Adele would be the nearest thing. Uh, but yeah, she's... but even then it's not really throaty. No, well, it kind of It's very natural and I voice. I know she manages to ruin her throat on a regular yeah, basis yeah. while singing. So I imagine if she attempted this, this would be the end of her career forever. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, like cause I don't, I'm not a big Adele fan or anything, but like, she's... She's definitely got a voice on it. Oh, yeah. But it's, yeah, not... but it's a very natural yeah, voice. exactly. Um, and which I guess is essentially her appeal. I think, yeah, similarly, I, I'm not that bothered about Adele, but I, yeah, and appreciate her voice. But even then, I don't, I don't think she could do this, really. <laughs> no, and would people want to hear that? I think they would, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, maybe it's just me, but it feels like if there's one thing really missing from the modern musical landscape it's ridiculously melodramatic power ballads yeah and katy perry can try but i don't think she'll ever get anywhere she's near no bonnie tyler is no. she? <laughs> there are some great um stats about this song it was the fifth best-selling single in the uk in 1983 uh 2015 it was voted by the british public as the nation's first favorite song from the 1980s and it won the Variety Club Award for UK's best single in 1983. I have no idea if that's a prestigious award, but hey, it's it's one of those songs which is clearly fondly remembered. You know, oh, like yeah. it was. It's it very was popular, a big seller of the time, mm. and it remains very well remembered now. And the fact that I can't remember when it was, but within the last few years, she was. It uh, did come first in one list, which was oh, a yeah. 2013 13 UK survey of songs to sing in the shower. 
and that <laughs> I mean I don't want to be I don't want to be in people's showers as a general rule actually but I especially Let alone when they're to trying to sing uh, Total Eclipse <laughs> yeah, of the exactly, Heart exactly yeah um, now what I was going to say was in, of course in recent years she uh, did Eurovision how did she and, that passed me by and the thing is I don't know if there's an element of that of how how cl- or how closely people remember the song, how how well sorry people remember the song, mm. and to how highly revered she is. That it's she- definitely her most famous. Song. Oh yeah, <laughs> that yeah. I think although I don't, she didn't do well at Eurovision, I don't know how well. But... No, well we never do these days. Well, no, but... and obviously she's no Gina G. So well, no. <laughs> but who is? Uh, but yeah, I think it's a song that, like we're saying, uh, is very well liked. <laughs> no, definitely. I, I don't know if there's much more we need to say about it, because I don't know if it's not a particularly musically or lyrically complicated song. It's just a song which, uh, in the Spinal Tap tradition, is turned entirely up to 11 on every single count. Oh, yeah. I guess that could go horribly wrong, but in this case, it went horribly right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we can leave it at that uh, so we'll move on to uh, Culture Club oh. again it's an odd uh, track listing it's but then I don't know how you could follow Bonnie Tyler it's, really it is a song though which it's equally as memorable yeah we can give it yeah. that at least uh, Karma Chameleon Karma 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 know it's a likable song i'd yeah, say and it's a very well-known one a very memorable one it's the 31st, 31st biggest, biggest selling biggest song selling in the song uk of all time yeah. oh yeah no i've got that here actually 1.49 million copies 5 million global copies make it one of the best-selling singles of all time worldwide it was the ninth favorite 1980s number one in the pop for <laughs> itv I think that puts it uh, slightly below... Below Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But again, it's another one of those songs that everyone remembers Yeah, it's very 80s. famous and it tends to... It's like a go-to 80s song, yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah, I think it suffers slightly from coming after Bonnie Tyler because even though it is yeah. quite a catchy song, it's nowhere near as... The sheer Iconic intensity and, and delivery yeah. of it that it makes this seem like a breather. Yeah, it, well, yeah, maybe that was the idea. I guess you yeah. can't have like two, but yeah, this one like Boy George has a much softer vocal delivery, shall we say? Yeah. And it's yeah, yeah, it's quite a nice song. It's a very memorable song, but it's not one that I adore. Or no, I mean it's fine. I don't really have anything against it. No. Like. It's another one where we had a court case in the background. Yeah, although it seems a lot more tenuous. Yeah, a yeah. lot more tenuous. There like... was a guy called Jimmy Jones and a song called Handyman who he sued him for plagiarism for. And we listened to it and it, it feels like there's a bit right at the beginning of the Jimmy Jones song which sounds a bit like Karma, 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 Chameleon. But it's not, well, the Karma, Karma, Karma bit, the Chameleon bit yeah. definitely It's not. only the Karma, Karma bit and <laughs> it's such it's a stretch to karma, say. Is he? It just sounds a little bit yeah, like it. it's... And then the rest of the song has nothing in common as far as we could tell. Yeah, I'd say it's a stretch. I mean, yeah. Uh, In response to being asked about this, Boy George did say, I might have heard it once, but it was certainly not something I sat down and copied. We gave him ten pence and an apple. Uh, (laughs) So I'm guessing that means it was settled out of course again. And 
that Jimmy Jones really didn't want to press it because he knew that that, that it was might a pretty, be a stretch. Uh, it's interesting weak. though because okay. obviously I guess it it feels like quite a modern phenomenon as well to mm. me. This whole thing with bands getting sued with For, your Robin fix and yeah the like and, and plagiarism yeah, but it it seems to have been popping up a lot in these nineteen eighties songs. Mm. So I I guess I'd assume really that yeah, increasingly over time they become more and more regular things like that i know there the the earliest case i can think of i think was george harrison in the early 70s uh was sued for my sweet lord for that sounding uh, okay. like and i don't know if that is like the first big case no well, um, yeah, but I mean, yeah i think sure. slowly since then they've become more and more of these cases to uh you know, hearing seemingly every other Ed Sheeran song seemingly copied <laughs> from someone. Well, let's not get but into not Ed get into Sheeran. That. Uh, uh, but yeah, and it's, it's very tenuous. But yeah, I think overall our assessment is, yes, we know this song. <laughs> we know it. <laughs> we know this Review. song. Review. <laughs> uh, you know, it's good. Everyone knows it. Nothing yeah. against it. I certainly don't think we have anything original insight-wise. I nah. was curious about the whole red, gold, and green imagery. Yeah. Like, I certainly don't know. I read somewhere that it was meant to be to do with Pride, but I couldn't find any reference to those colours mm. being used by Pride anywhere else. And the only thing that I do know those colours are used for is the Pan-Africanism yeah. movement. And I can't see anything else in the lyrics which suggests the song is about Pan-Africanism. Nah. So that one remains I, I a don't mystery, know if, I guess. I, I kind of assume that they're just three colours that Where's fitted the, in the lyric the nicely. Yeah. I don't know if they represent anything particularly. I think I think you might be right. You yeah. might be looking for too much depth in a song <laughs> where there really isn't that much. No. Um so yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And do you want to introduce the yeah, next one? Yeah, so now it's uh, Men Without Hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, good band name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with the safety dance. Say we can act if we want to, if we don't, nobody will. And you can act real rude and totally removed, and I can act like an imbecile. I say we can dance, we can dance, everything's out of control. We can dance, we can dance, we're doing it. So, yeah, the safety dance. I mean, it's very fun, isn't it? There's some great 80s synths going on. It's very weird. Yeah. And it's another song, definitely, which is contending for most 80s song on the (laughs) album. Um, I can't deny that. But I I don't know if I actually like it. No? I find it strangely abrasive. (laughs) Just the the synths are fascinating, but it does sound like somebody's jabbing me in the ear with a laser. <laughs> um, and the vocal delivery is unhinged, but it doesn't fit at all with the music. Do to you me. think? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I think his voice is almost like he's doing an impression of a typical eighties singing voice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it might just be the fact that he looks a bit like Henry Rollins, but I was sort of imagining him more that he had a background in hardcore scene or something. But then mm. we saw another song by them, and he's not doing it's, anything like no. that at all. But yeah, because he's sort of. Screaming, and I know it's a song about pogo dancing. He says he was he wrote it after being kicked out of a club for pogo dancing. Yeah. So I assumed he did have some kind of punkish roots. Yeah, but... and it's just kind of a protest at that. Yeah, which again is nuts. <laughs> it's, like... it's actually the video, which... Uh... <laughs> of all the things to process in the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a bizarre video that doesn't really go with the song uh, no. that's in... This, I think that's my sort of issue with this song, but it's for all that it's 
it's definitely worth hearing if you've never heard it before, because there's nothing else which sounds quite like it. It doesn't feel like any of the parts mesh together quite, <laughs> uh, including the video and the song. And yeah, like it's not one I choose to listen to in my own time. No, ever. <laughs> no I do quite like this. I, but I don't know if it's just if I like it beyond just the 80s synthness. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, it's a sound I particularly like, I think, in that yeah, way. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean... And yeah, I kind of like the story behind it. And it, mm. as you say, it's very odd in the way that, yeah, not everything seems to fit together, but somehow, yeah, I'd say I quite like it. <laughs> uh, it's uh, just a nice, it's very much suited to a Now album. Yeah, but really. well, that's, that's true. Because like, this, is this a well-remembered song? I think, I think it kind of is. I think yeah. it's one of those that's almost remembered jokingly. Yeah, yeah, like a novelty song. Yeah. But it's not quite, it's definitely not a novelty song like a lot of the novelty songs on Now albums are. No. Like, we've got one on the second record of this, which is an out-and-out comedy yeah. song. That, that's more like what you associate with Now novelty songs. Yeah. And this one, though, it's like, a, it's, it is kind of a joke song, because it's obviously safety dance as a satire on the whole not being allowed to pogo dance hmm. type thing. Um, but it's it's not just a throwaway joke song there's more going on to it than that yeah so maybe that's why because a lot of novelty songs can get sort of lost in the mists of time mm. but this has an element of that while also being a proper song yeah but all the same i still don't like it much no <laughs> i do i do like this that's fair yeah enough. Uh, I'd like it more than I like the next song. Well, yeah, so uh, <laughs> as we've uh, previously hinted at, uh, we've got it's Kajagoogoo again, guys. and uh, some more Lamal uh, singing Too Shy. Pretty shit, really. <laughs> yeah, like it's definitely Kajagoogoo's biggest and most well-known song now, isn't it? Uh, oh yeah. yeah, I mean okay. it's probably their only remembered song yeah, as, her, as, her, as a band. Uh, pretty much. Um, I guess well, though we'll hear. Wonder, yeah, although we'll hear oh, their apparently later this attempt. is their only significant hit in America, so okay. they are a one-hit wonder over there. But yeah, I mean obviously it's a big hit and so on, but. I've, I just find this very shit. Like, it seems... A lot of the song and verse seems like they're just kind of pissing around in a studio and then they have a pre-token catchy bit to make it a hit that's thrown in every so often. I do think you can hear the sort of production... From the Duran Duran guy, Nick Rhodes, yeah. which we mentioned earlier, yeah. like in there, and I don't think that could have hurt it in terms of its popularity at the time. Like, no. what's going on with Lamar then? Why was he? <laughs> why was he popular? Is it like a team? Like, was he just posters and smash hits? I, I, that's what I assume. He's yeah, got a shit that kind voice. of thing. And um, I mean, I, I was going to say this one doesn't even rank that high on the nineteen eighties Ometer necessarily, no. but his hairstyle definitely does. Yeah, well, the band generally like. Like the bassist guy has <laughs> yeah, bizarre quite an image, hair going on. But uh, I don't know if I only noticed this more from reading about the band and how essentially Lamal and the other mem- the other band members kind of fell out over musical differences, yeah. which is but it's so difficult to work that one out because if you listen, we heard Lamal earlier and he yeah. sounds quite a lot like this sounds. Yeah. 
And then uh, on the second record, which we won't get to on this podcast, so you'll have to listen to part two, but I don't think that song is all that different either. They kind of had that much of a difference if they just ended up producing relatively similar music anyway. Yeah, I mean, they just both sound... I can can believe that he was difficult to work with. Yeah. Um, But I just... It seems odd. Yeah, the whole fact that he reacted by saying, they sacked me for making me successful. I don't know if he sounds like that. That's just how I'm imagining him sounding... Yeah, no, I can um, kind of imagine that. Yeah. Makes me think he is just a a boob. Yeah, he just <laughs> he just seems like a bit of a dick, probably in a fairly trivial way, but it just seems Speaking kind of annoying. Though, of people who are a bit of a dick, the meaning of the song I don't think is particularly complicated at all. It's a song which is basically about dancing in a club and getting yeah. close together, right? Yeah. But open your ear 66 on on the website geniuslyrics.com. Um, but he's he's made some annotations about... There's several annotations about this being a song about having sex, including the following. Right. Which is... I should look up the lyric first. Give me a second. Okay, so we've looked up the lyrics now. And the lyric in question is one which goes, Modern medicine falls short of your complaints. Try a little harder. You're moving in circles. Won't you dilate? Mmm, baby, try. And <laughs> Open Your Ears 66 has said... The man is humping and moving in circles as the shy girl is dilating, bracket, her circle down below is increasing in size, close bracket, mm. as he's penetrating. The lyric before, he is getting hard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and God. it's a very literal interpretation of the lyrics, so I'll give him that. I don't quite know what kind of person would be inspired to that by this no. song, but I'm very glad that I've only come across <laughs> him on the internet and not in real life. God, yeah. Um... <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, we could talk about Mike Oldfield next. Uh, we could, yeah, because <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's just going to be. I don't think Mike Oldfield is a sex pervert. I should probably say that. No, but I still uh, don't really fine. want to spend any time with him. Yeah, he seems like an odd man. Um, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, so uh, next it's uh, Moonlight Shadow. So, Moonlight Shadow, which I find, for him, an oddly dull song. Well, it is a dull song. I'm just not sure about the oddly bit. <laughs> the oddly. Well, at least, I, I, I suppose I mean more dull in it. It doesn't... It, there's no sense of the structure being interesting or him trying something no, particularly... I, uh, I feel like it's like a very deliberate evocation of old American folk songs yeah. and murder ballads and stuff, especially given the lyrics. Mm. So maybe it was trying to be more trad than, yeah. like, I don't know a lot of Mike Oldfield's music, to be honest. Like, it's mostly tubular bells and yeah. this. <laughs> I mean, I heard tubular bells growing up because my parents have the okay. vinyl and that. I think my that. dad did as well, actually. Um, and it's... I don't even say I would call tubular bells my thing, really, but at the same time, I can kind of see why people uh, like it. No, sure. It, um, was, it was definitely very different at the time. I mean, it's quite different now, even listening yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it was clearly trying something different, and it's interesting at the very least. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think I just failed to find much to say about Moonlight Shadow, really. No, well, likewise. I wrote down that the vocalist is someone called Maggie Riley. 
Ah, okay. She, I mean, she's got a decent voice. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, she yeah. deserves some credit for what's going on in that song. It got to number four, which was that his biggest single hit. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think it might have been. It yeah. was, um, you know, he's not someone, he's got a very long and storied career, but he's not someone who's bothered the top ends of the chart all that often. No. It's so just this been... song is notable for him in that case. I guess mainly um, albums, I suppose. Mm. He's still going now, I think. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of I can't think of Mike Oldfield without thinking of a book that I did some proofreading on. It was a book from 1976, so I proofread because I'm not about. <laughs> <laughs> I proofread like an ebook update of it, and yeah, it, it's from 1976, and it sort of charts the history of pop music. It'd be going back to sort of blues and jazz and stuff, and it's really good on the history stuff. But mm. right at the end, when he's talking about modern pop music, you can tell the author profound distaste for almost everything that exists. <laughs> and the two people he likes in 1976 um, are Jimmy Page and Mike Oldfield. He, he says that between them they stand against the triviality of glitter rock, the destructiveness as such as Jagger, the banality of the Osmonds. <laughs> um, and yeah, like he, he also refers to pop continuing down its baubled sewer, despite the example of Oldfield and baubled Page. Sewer. And, and then the very last page on the book for the index and stuff is a picture of Mike Oldfield with some doves <laughs> and the caption says Mike Oldfield with doves our best hope <laughs> and it's hilariously misjudged in retrospect considering um, it was 76 just before <laughs> yeah. punk kicked off uh, our friend Malcolm McLaren came along and blew all of that out <laughs> of the water <laughs> with some help from the Sex Pistols and co but yeah it's it's certainly not a prediction which has stood the test of time because like we say it's not like Mike Oldfield has had too many big chart hits mm. but maybe maybe Midnight Shadow is precisely what the author had in mind M- maybe this was what he thought was the uh, salvation yeah I'd be really of, intrigued uh, to know what he makes music. of Midnight Shadow because it definitely doesn't sound like uh, Tubular Bells and no. the kind of thing that presumably he was basing this judgement on do you reckon we should move on to the next song I think we should <laughs> uh, if we can, if I can remember what that is, number I found. one. Uh, it was ah, oh, of course, uh, minute work. So uh, their very famous song, I would say, down under. So this is, as I say, another very famous one, but mm-hmm. we found there's quite a lot of interesting yeah, kind of dark of, stories I around to it. You, I just sort of thought of this as that Australian song um, until sort of reading up a bit more about it. But it's got a a lot of background stuff. Like it's a, it's a protest song. Yeah, it's a bit of a protest about it's, colonialism, it's one of those I suppose. Odd protest songs where it doesn't sound overtly angry. Mm. Uh, he said the chorus is really about the selling of Australia in many ways, the overdevelopment of a country. It was a song about the loss of spirit in that country. It's really about the plundering of the country by greedy people. It's ultimately about celebrating the country, but not in a nationalistic way, not in a flag-waving sense. It's really more than that. And yeah, like, I never listened to it closely enough to pick up on that, but the chorus, that's really obvious. Yeah. (laughs) Better run, better take cover, (laughs) and so on. And yeah, oh, because yeah, like you say, that Australian song, I imagine is how probably people generally think of it. I think that's probably how I It's like Born in the USA, but I don't know if it's (laughs) as good a song as that. No, but... But, but it's got that similar 
tendency to be misinterpreted by shallow people like us yeah. who aren't listening probably. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also, um, as we were talking about uh, court cases before, mm. uh, there is one with this, but in a way that was much more, it had a bit much kind of quite the impact, I suppose, yeah. uh, on the people behind it. Yeah, but, well, um, it was a bit of kookaburra, which they, yes. they'd assumed was a traditional song because it's sort of such a yeah. And I think they assumed it was no longer uh, bound by copyright, mm. uh, but it turned out it, the copyright was actually owned by some company, and yeah. it came about through some fairly trivial like radio or telly quiz, I think ah, I read, okay. whereby the song was uh, the question was sorry, what song? is used oh. in the song and that brought the people <laughs> the people who own the rights they, some, they suddenly went hang on yeah. and then they decided to sue the writers oh, of Down God. Under and it was this very long drawn out mm. uh, battle uh, that yeah that essentially meant I think it was 2010 but it was actually finally resolved so yeah, yeah. that's uh, 30 no, 27 years and as, after... And I think they said that the, the profits of the song after a certain date, there's a certain percentage that mm. goes to this company who own yeah, the yeah. rights to Kookaburra. But it's the fact that Colin Hay, the singer, has he suggested that the death of his father and of the flautist mm. um, in 2010 and 2012 were linked to the stress of the court case. So yeah. it must be... Because this is, without any doubt their best known song yeah and, and i remember and there was also some mention as well of a, when as you might imagine i suppose a song this famous this famous in australia there was a lot of attention surrounding it sure, and it yeah. seemed, they seem to suggest that it was quite a lot of people hated this fact that it was this legal battle because because they like the song. They, well, I think they, they, it's a certain cherry, it's become quite a cherished song yeah, in well, Australian it, it, One of the other culture. things I found about it was it was ranked the fourth best song of all Australian songs between <laughs> 1926 and 2001. Wow. Um, so it obviously has a big part in Australian culture. So yeah. yeah. I guess there must be some sympathy for them in Australia. Yeah, and I think... But we, I would say, most people outside of Australia are entirely ignorant of quite how big it is over there and all of this other stuff going on with it yeah and like i say it's it's weird when you watch the video now and it's obviously a kind of comic <laughs> literal yeah, video it was segueing as... from the deaths of people involved and it's to hey the video is yeah. quite funny right? but it's that weird thing of watching it now and it's obviously presented in a kind of comic way yeah, yeah. but having just read about this quite <laughs> this court case with a quite dark undertone yeah, to it yes. it's a certain contest there. Yeah. But it's like a song which, again, I'd never really listened to much because it has a hint of novelty about mm. it, I guess especially not coming from Australia. It's like, oh, that's that's that Australian yeah, song. Yeah. That's easy to dismiss it on that level. But it's not a bad song. And mm. we were listening to one of our other songs and they're quite good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so it's a song that I've gained much more respect for from listening to it like this. Mm. Again, I'm not necessarily sure... Well, I don't know, maybe listening, based on hearing a couple of other songs, I would be intrigued on listening to more of Men at Work's back catalogue. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's a song which deserves more careful attention than it usually gets That's possible. it, and I don't know if I'd even go to the extent of saying that previously I thought it was throwaway, but it's a lot less kind of throwaway Aussie fun yeah, than yeah. it It's not might... Crocodile Dundee or anything No, like it's actually, yeah, there's a bit more to it than I think I'd... Mm. 
Yeah, I think I'd thought of that, really. Um, I don't know if the same can really be said for the next one. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, well, uh, again, a bit of an odd uh, tone change, I'd say. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, for Men at Work, we go on to uh, the Rocksteady crew with uh, Hey You, the Rocksteady crew. Hey, you, the Rocksteady crew. B-Boys break, there's a legend for Galoo. Hey, you, the Rocksteady crew. I can show what you do. Make a break, make a move. Hey, you, the Rocksteady crew. B-Boys break, there's a legend for Galoo. There's a Doesn't feel like there's too much to say about this one. I mean, we do wonder, like we were talking about, how 80s certain yeah. songs are. If this might be the most of its time song. It might be, but I also don't think... Because I think the 80s that I was referring to when I was looking for the most 80s song requires yeah. a very specific... It's the synth and big hair flock of seagulls vibe. <laughs> yeah. And this doesn't feel this is a very this a is a different, sub-genre it's a very different kind music. of 80s this is uh, breakdance music uh, which obviously yeah. dates it to a great extent especially in the UK because like whereas breakdance is a big thing in America and a big thing in Japan I don't know if it ever broke through quite in the same not way not to that level I don't think I imagine there were you know there's go, there were going to be some people to get to number six in the charts yeah so that's something I guess ultimately I'd say the most interesting thing about the reading about them is just the list of names yeah because they, they were the rock city crew where a proper crew, so it involved all the DJs and breakdancers and all of that stuff. I don't know who was directly involved in this song. I couldn't find that information. Yeah, and there are so many... Yeah, we were just looking through lists of just ridiculous names. <laughs> yeah. Like Forrest Getem Gump. I, d- I do like DJ Wobbles as well. Yeah, DJ Wobbles is no good. There's no indication of when DJ Wobbles was part of it. I don't know if he would have been one of the originals. No. But like, there's some big names who were in the, in the 90s. Oh, big names. Biggish names, <laughs> you know, like Razel, Mixmaster Mike and DJ yeah, Cucumber, yeah. that kind of thing. But DJ Cucumber Slice. I don't know DJ Cucumber Slice. No, he has his own, he's uh, his own Wikipedia, Wikipedia page, page, so he's more important than us. <laughs> but yeah. Touch just sounds like a sort of comedy pervert. Yeah, Crazy Legs, Frosty Freeze. I feel like Crazy Legs may have been involved at some point in this. Devious Doze. <laughs> in the video, if nothing else. Yeah, and Prince Ken Swift. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know much more to say about just the fad of break dancing, and they no, got a song yeah. out of it. I think it. we said it's one of those songs where because it's not really this style of music hasn't had a revival in the same way that 80s synth music no. has been incorporated into modern pop at times. So I think this is a song which is probably the, possibly the most dated song. Yeah, and in, in a very particular way. Yeah, it's like uh, I was saying, you could use it in like an 80s sitcom as an instant, oh, this is the time that this is set in. There's no doubt yeah. about this whatsoever. Yeah, you just throw it in as a token nod to the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's very simple, though. It's like, it's rap of that era, especially, I guess, the kind of rap that would have been acceptable to a white British audience isn't going in to it, be confrontational there's, interesting there's not really any technical quality to it no, it's very yeah. simplistic it's uh not it's it's fun enough you know it's kind of yeah but yeah but in it's, a campy way yeah it's not good <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah should we leave it at that yeah and we'll move on to uh <laughs> possibly different. a more famous this is, name yeah of all the tonal changes yeah <laughs> 
I think Breakdance to Rod Stewart has to be it's, quite a big it's one. It's strange. And it's weird because I'm sure like in later nows there's more sense of flow. Yeah, it becomes possibly. more of a science of tra- careful track it's listing. It's early days. This is the first Whereas one. Whereas this, it's bizarre. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> here's uh, Rod Stewart with uh, Baby Jane. Yeah, so, uh, as you pointed out, my uh, odd pronunciation of uh, <laughs> focusing you, you... as if it's a Jane, a baby called Jane. <laughs> yeah, that would be a very different Baby song. Jane. If Rod Stewart had been left sort of unsure and heartbroken by a baby, that would yeah. be a very different scenario. Well, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Rod, but I've, this one's no, all right. Yeah. Um, it's not like, do you think I'm sexy or anything no. in terms of sheer Roddiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean... This one's fine. I mean, although I was just saying, goes on a bit. Yeah, but I, it's... I think it's like it's a proper song, which we couldn't <laughs> yeah. say for like "Hey You" the No, crew. no, I don't. They're think... not going to win an Ivan Novello no, anytime yeah. soon. Whereas this one has like lyrics and feeling, and he's got such a distinctive voice. Yeah, uh, but it's hard not. It, you know, it's a very distinct character, and it's it's hard to deny it that it's. Yeah, it's it's all right, but it was, I don't find I have a lot to say. According to Wikipedia, his final number one single to date in the UK, <laughs> which is a bit optimistic. Yeah, I think at this point it's quite unlikely, unless Rod Stewart collaborates with Justin Bieber or something, that he's going to have another big. I, I I am now, and I want it to happen. <laughs> I want it to happen very badly, but I do not know. I well, have the influence on either of a these clean people. bandit featuring Rod Stewart. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. I don't know, maybe someone will sample one of his songs yeah, and he'll I mean, technically get another number one hit. But... Well, yeah, because I seem to remember the 90s, there was a, some sample of Do You Think I'm Sexy that was... Oh, maybe, that rings a bell. Yeah. Anyway, it's, I don't know, it's not a huge amount to say about it. Not it's a really. Rod Stewart song. If you've heard a Rod Stewart song, you'll probably know what to expect. And, you know, it's that thing where I think Rod Stewart strikes me as someone where people very much know where they stand on opinion <laughs> yeah like he's because he's the kind of person that prompts a lot a whole big fan base I think but at the same like time maybe for people of our generation a little bit he was someone our parents would listen to and thus like i i don't think i remember listening to his music at all as a kid no. on the basis that my mum had one of his albums yeah like... and there's lots of people who i read as afterwards like bob dylan and Beatles that mm. were in their recollection which turned out to be really great I don't think Rod Stewart quite fits in. I've that never category. been inclined to properly investigate but his maybe stuff. Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe the um, kids these days are really into him, and we just don't. Every <laughs> kid just be oblivious. But I mean, yeah, like I don't think my parents are any great fans, but they had the odd song, like the yeah. odd single, or maybe I an think album. It was the best of in our yeah, family, that, which more kind of came occasionally out. dipping in here and there <laughs> without being big Rod fans. But no, I think this is him past his prime in a little bit oh, in it, terms of his popularity yeah like we were saying yeah, he, he got to number one it so he did was well big. but um the, it, he just looks a bit odd in the video like <laughs> yeah. he has just seen a duran duran video yeah the highlights thought, all right that's what's in now quite spectacularly wrong yeah it looks like he's a bit past his prime <laughs> already and this is what in 83 yeah i love the scene because he's got this sort of new romantic look going on but then there's just a shot in the video of him downing a pint which isn't a very new <laughs> 
you romantic. No, thing. as if to say, no, I am still Rod. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, I am still doing Rod things. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a fine song. It's a amusing video. Yeah, I don't have anything particularly against it. So it has that going for it for me, <laughs> as opposed to a lot of his other ones. Uh, and the next song that we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, so uh, the last one. Yeah, uh, the last one for, on uh, the, the first, first record of now. That's what I call music number one. It is uh, Paul Young. Uh, wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. For I'm the type of boy who is always on the road. Wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. Yeah, so this is a kind of intriguing one, as it's a cover. Is it intriguing? Well, it's... In- is it insipid? <laughs> well, it is that. <laughs> um, but it just seems odd how well this song seems to have done in the chart and how... Yeah, I get the sense it's quite one, a revered yeah. song. Yeah. But it seems odd in a way that... A song about more well, infidelity. Yeah, well, it's a it's a Marvin Gaye original. Yeah, um, and it's fair to say that Gaye's version, uh, his version, it sounds like there's there's a sort of slight bit of heartbreak to it, but it's not his heartbreak. He's singing about somebody else's about heartbreak. breaking other people's yeah, hearts because he he loves them and he leaves them, breaks their heart, deceives them everywhere he goes. And Marvin Gaye sounds entirely okay with that. And yeah. the music is jaunty and upbeat. It fits upbeat. more. Yeah. It's, uh, whereas, it's an unrepentant philanderer. Whereas this seems a bit too earnest. Yeah, it's horribly... He sounds miserable about it. Yeah. And like the video starts with him leaving this woman in her room. And it's like, if you're that miserable, fucking stay there. <laughs> like, it's just... I don't get it at all. The tone of it doesn't fit the lyrics. And it's just miserable. And it's odd, and it just seems a vehicle for him to show off his voice because yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem like it's any more than that. If in that, it just seems a strange song choice. I guess that is the appeal, probably. But I just personally, I don't bass. like his voice very much, so uh, it doesn't do it for me. No. Certainly, if Paul Young laid his hat anywhere near me, I would pick it up and throw it as far away <laughs> as I could, uh, or maybe put it in a taxi. The thing is, I don't think I've ever seen Paul Young in a hat. <laughs> no, I, I'm not a connoisseur. But he doesn't strike me as someone who generally goes hat. around in hats and then leaves them at women he slept with. Does he wear houses. a hat in the video at any point? I can't remember. I don't think he does. Not even at the start. Well, as you see, I can imagine Marvin Gaye in hats. No, certainly, yeah. Yeah. Well, on many levels, then, he was <laughs> the wrong man to sing this song. But there's nothing. There's already a lot to say beyond no, that. Yeah. Be it was only the third cover so far. On the, oh, only the double third? album, which okay. uh, by later now standards, it's definitely less than you'd usually see. Mm. But yeah, it starts and ends on cover versions, neither of which are very good. No. Covers are versions of great black songs by terrible white artists. <laughs> <laughs> That's the theme. Uh, is that, it, it, does that sum up a lot of now uh, history? Or... Oh, quite possibly. Yeah. But, uh, we'll have to work that one out as the podcast goes on, I think. <laughs> Okay, so that was the album, David. It was, I think, quite a roller coaster of a ride. Uh, yeah. <laughs> looking yes, looking back at it. Um, there's a lot of highlights on there, a few lowlights, but I think more good than bad overall. Oh, I think so, definitely. Um, and 
Speaking of which, do you want to introduce... Uh, yes. Because so, we're, we're going to um, end each of these podcasts on a cover song. And David has been working on so, something. Yeah, so term. as uh, we said when the song came up, I do have, I do get a certain joy from uh, Men Without Hats. <laughs> I'm not even entirely sure why. I don't know if it's purely the synth sounds mm. on it in its 80s way. But um, bizarrely, if you look up the video, like, we may have mentioned this. At we did, the yeah. We did. The video is like a renaissance fair type it vibe. is and uh so what i've attempted to do is uh make a version of the song that seems to fit more with the video i yes. suppose <laughs> so uh you pointedly using acoustic instruments right. and uh see how it just to see how it would sound okay and you are now about to experience that so thanks for listening <laughs> and uh enjoy <laughs> Thank you for listening to Is That What I Call Music? If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at davidvand at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at now music pod.